Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. church. Good morning, church. There it is. There you are. You fired up for God's word? Say yes. Good morning to all of you. If you were turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. It's great to see all of your faces here in Lancaster. I greet all of you indeed at our Myerstown campus as well. Uh, By God's grace, I pray that you see me even though I can't see you. I don't know if you heard Lancaster Campus, but with five minutes notice, Pastor Nate Lott stood up and preached last week's message to our Myerstown campus. How amazing, how good is God that he was able to do that. But I've been told, do we have internet? Do we? Do we? Give me a thumbs up if we do. They're going to lie right now, even if we don't, so I keep moving. They would not. That's not true. They would tell me the truth. And right now, Myerstown wouldn't know the difference if we didn't, because Pastor Nate would be up and rolling again. We have a service for you every Friday. We read through the message together. We pray and we ask God, are these words what you have for us? Is there anything here that would be unbecoming to you, Lord God? Let us all be prepared to deliver God's word, for if I go down, somebody else step up. And if the internet goes down, somebody somebody else stand up and preach. That's how this works. It's not about the person standing here. It's about the message that is delivered from this book. Amen? Now about the book, Matthew chapter 6. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we've been. That's where we are. We're learning this. Jesus has called all of his followers, all of his disciples to be different. We're learning that Jesus has called us to be different. He saved us. He's transformed us to be different. The old is gone. The new, indeed, has come. And all these differences, all these external things that indeed are being addressed in the sermon that Jesus is preaching, our ability uh, to be different, to act different, to speak different, to think different, all of it finds its origin on a difference that's occurred inside of all of our hearts. Got it? Right now, we're in the portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about our motivation, about our motivation. Say motivation. And so now today, he's moving in a little bit more specifically, if you will, on our motivations, and he wants to address for us our ambition. Now say ambition. 
Let me give you a definition of ambition. Today we're on this, a different kind of ambition. Ambition is a desire. Ambition as well could be an object. Hear this, ambition, an earnest desire for some type of achievement. Do you have ambition? Do you have an ambition? It's an earnest desire for some type of achievement or distinction. Could be power, could be honor, could be fame, could be wealth. But our ambition is our willingness to strive for whatever this ambition may be. It's an object, it's a state, it's a desire, it's a, it's a destination. Call it a goal if you want. But each and every person in this room, whether you recognize it or not, you have an ambition. So I'm curious today, what is your driving, your primary ambition? Do you know? It's not that easy to identify for some. I'm asking what your why is. I'm asking what your why is. Like, why did you get up this morning? There's this concept uh, kind of floating around right now. It's kind of, the, kind of the, the five whys. Do anything and then ask yourself five times why. Like, I got up this morning and I brushed my teeth. Why? Because I didn't want my breath to smell. Why? Because I want to fit in with people. Why? Well, ultimately, I, I, I want to I be in a community and to be near people. Why? Because I believe Jesus called me to be near people and love on people. Why? Because God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Why? You see it? What's your why? Perhaps some of these questions will help you in helping you to define your ambition. So I've already said one. What gets you up in the morning? Like, Pastor, I don't really think about that. I, my alarm goes off. I go to work. I put in my hours. I come home. I kiss the kids. I eat my dinner. And then I go ahead and do it again. Yeah, that's exactly why you feel this way. What do you wish to achieve in this life? There's another question. What do you wish to achieve? Like your ultimate achievement, the big thing. Like when, you're, when all is said and done, if I can hit this milestone, if I can reach this spot, then I will know I have had, I have reached my ambition. What's your crowning achievement? Some of you have already reached it, and that is super hollow now. How about this? I could die happy, finish this sentence, I could die happy if. I could die a happy person. I could die a happy man. I could die a happy woman if. What? Ambition. What's the greatest compliment someone could pay you right now? What's the greatest compliment someone could, what, what would be music to your ears? I mean, what would cause you to kind of just delight to clap the hands of your heart if you heard these words, son, daughter, friend, colleague, contrary. What's the one thing someone could say to you right now that would rip your heart out? 
What's the one thing someone could say about you, to you, behind your back, but you found out, you heard that this is thought about you and it would drop you to your knees and bring tears to your eyes. What is that thing? You see, we get closer and closer and closer to what our ambition may be as we begin to think about these things. You know, our stages of life and our exposures in life can cause us to answer these questions differently, can they not? Like when I was a little kid, when I was single digits, like all I wanted to do was hit a baseball. Like what got me up in the morning, I wanted to play baseball. I would die a happy man if I could hit a grand slam. Did it once, I'm still here. You hit high school, what do you want to do? Okay, I wanted to get a job, I wanted to buy a car, I wanted to graduate, and I hoped to get into college. Life moves on. How about when you got to college? What, what was your ambition then? For me, I wanted to have fun. I wanted to get decent grades. I wanted to become a leader. I wanted to learn what it was like to gain influence. And by God's grace, off we go. Then there was this stage of life, the, the moment that I met Robin, my wife. And indeed, I was convinced and I still am. Indeed, I, I believe with all of my heart I could die a happy man if she just said yes. One of the greatest compliments you can pay me today is that you see me as a, as a good husband. You want to rip my heart out? Point out how I'm not loving my wife well. What's your ambition? Being a father, come on, does that get you out of bed, man? Does being a dad get you up out of bed? When I look in the eyes of my four boys, it causes me to examine my ambition. It causes me to examine my ambition. Why? Because ambition is a powerful thing. Ambition is a powerful thing. When I married Robin, my ambition intensified. When I became a pastor, my ambition was clarified. And when I became a father, my ambitions were personified because I realized, oh my word, it's not just about me anymore. And how about this, Christian? When you became a believer in Jesus Christ, what happens to your ambitions? For indeed, they were intensified in marriage. They were clarified in ministry. They were personified in becoming a dad. But here, today, we're going to see that when we believe in Jesus, all of our ambitions become purified. Ambition is a good thing. To strive after the right thing is the best thing. All of your ambitions, all the ambitions that I've mentioned indeed are good. But when you accept Jesus, all of a sudden your ambition, your running after all of those things is now taken on a different kind of ambition. It's the kind of ambition driven by 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. You know it, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this. So whatever you eat, whatever you do, whatever you drink, whatever it is, do it all to the glory of God. All that we do now, what's our ambition, church? I know this seems high. This seems like old church. This seems super lofty. It seems super simple in Sunday school. But what is our primary ambition? If it's anything less than the glory of God, don't pass go. Do not collect $200. Come on, go back to the beginning and look. Look at it again. So now when we ask these questions, Jesus is going to take us to this spot this morning. What gets you up in the morning? Come on, it's the glory of God. 
What do you want to achieve in this life? I want to bring, I want to bring glory to God. I will die happy if at my funeral someone would say he lived his life to the glory of God. He achieved a lot of other things, but his motivation for achieving those things was the glory of God alone. What's the greatest compliment you can be paid? I hope, I hope it has something to do with you being different. No one dies wishing that everyone will stand up and say, he was just like everybody else. She, she fit in perfectly with the crowd. And so Jesus now in Matthew chapter 6 is coming and he's instructing his followers through the Sermon on the Mount, to be different, to be different, to be different. He's teaching us how to live as kingdom citizens on this earth, how to live ambitious, kingdom-focused lives to the glory of God. And so, if you're ready to dig in to Matthew chapter 6, Treasures in Heaven, you want to talk about ambition. If you're ready, just say, I'm ambitious. Are you ready? I'm ambitious, me too. Here we go, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Come on, remember the context. Jesus is saying you've been blessed differently. Jesus is saying because you're blessed differently, you're going to have a different kind of impact, your salt and light to a watching world. Because you are blessed differently, because you have a different kind of impact, you're now going to live a different kind of standard, and that's going to blow people away. You're going to love different. You're going to give different. You're going to pray different. You're going to get angry different. You're going to keep commitments differently. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus, as it pertains to standards, said you also have a different kind of motivation, so watch your motivations. He gave us a warning regarding our motivations in the first verse of chapter 6. Remember what he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, 6.1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order that they may see you. For if you do, there will be no reward in heaven from your Father who is in so Jesus, within this warning, says, pray differently, pray sincerely. Don't pray loudly for people to hear. When you give, gift differently. Don't blow, a trump, don't blow a trumpet and clang your change going in. And when you fast, don't dirty your face and mess up your hair so everyone is impressed by how low you've gotten before God. So it's in light of this context, Jesus laying this warning down that he doesn't even take a breath, he moves into this next passage of Scripture, which is super famous, but very rarely taught in the context of the warning that led up to it. Here it comes. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You've heard this verse before? You've heard these verses before? Yeah. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how incredibly great will this darkness be? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. Friends, we, you, I, we cannot serve two masters. What's your ambition? Jesus is calling out our ambitions, and here he demonstrates for us, he, he proposes to us that with we have a different kind, a righteous kind of ambition, three things will be manifested in our lives. Here is the first one. A different kind of ambition will be marked by a heart that is hungry for heaven. Your ambition will be marked, you'll be marked by a hunger, a heart that is hungry for heaven. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? Where your treasure is. Where is your treasure? Where your heart is. And so because of this, Jesus looks, says this in verse 19. Because of this, don't lay up. Be careful what you do with your treasure. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. You see, the do not here is written in the present imperative. And the present imperative makes it sound like, hey, just be a little bit cautious, kind of as you're moving on. It's easy for us to read this. You know, as you go about living your life, just take a little precaution about what you do with your stuff. But the imperative command here can also be translated like this. Stop it. Stop. Stop it. Stop storing up for yourself treasures on earth. Like he's coming at it. He's hitting it straight on. He's saying, stop it. Stop laying up. Stop storing up treasures on earth. In other words, what Jesus is doing right now is, in light of this sermon that you've heard, in light of the crowd that is gathered, in light of all that's been spoken, in light of the fact that you're blessed and you're, 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 you have a different impact and you have a different standard, in light of this motivation that I'm talking to, in light of everything I'm said, Jesus says, now it's time for you to make a, a statement. Now it's time for you to make a stand. The time has come for you to make a decision. Stop it. Like you've dabbled along, you've dabbled around long enough We're getting to the crux of the matter because when you start messing with my stuff, you start messing with my deep parts. Jesus says you want to be different, stop chasing and storing up for yourself the treasures of this world. You want to be different, stop chasing the dollar. You want to be different, stop chasing the power. You want to be different? He says stop storing up for yourself treasures on earth. This word store up is fascinating, by the way. This word store up literally means to accumulate or actually, check this, it actually means to treasure. So what he's saying is don't treasure up for yourself. Don't gather up for yourself. Don't treasure the treasures of this world. Don't treasure the treasures of this world. And what you begin to see here, the picture that kind of comes to mind, is kind of this Ebenezer Scrooge uh, kind of a picture, right? Like where where the gold is kind of like running through the fingers. Anyone? Don't treasure for yourself the treasures of this world. 
Tiny Tim's going hungry and we're treasuring. Anyone? That's typically the picture that we see in this text when we read it. This idea that like we're not just saving money for safekeeping. What are we doing? What are we doing? We're saving up money to keep it safe. It's not for safekeeping. It's for keeping sake. It's not for safekeeping. It's for keeping sake. It's not for safekeeping, but it's for keeping sake because I realize that there's significance here and there's security here and there's some freedom here. Treasure, a repository of values, a repository of wealth, a repository of that which we cherish. And so when Jesus says, don't treasure up for yourself, treasures on earth, what you could read is this, do not prize the things of this world as preeminent or primary or above all. Do not prize the things of this earth as most precious, is what Jesus says. Rather, heaven's treasures. Rather, heaven's treasures. Up until now, Jesus is all the way through the sermon calling us to two ways. He's been calling us to make a distinction between two ways. The ways of the earth and the ways of heaven. The ways of the earth and the ways of the kingdom. The ways of the religious and the ways of his spiritual kingdom, the way of life, and indeed he's calling us to the ways of death, the way of light and the way of darkness. And so here Jesus is saying you can only have your treasure in one of two places. You can have your treasure in earth or you can have your treasure in heaven. Catch it? You can have your treasure in earth or you can have your treasure... Your ambitions and your goals in, upon earthly things, or you can have your ambitions and goals be part of heavenly things. And he says, be careful. Be careful why. Earthly treasures don't last. We strive and we work. We strive and we work. We strive and we work some more. Most of us have an app on our phone that tell us how well we're doing at this. Some of us have stock accounts right in our pocket that we can see how it's going. I still can't smell, but my wife tells me that our camper at the campground smells like mothballs. You know what that reminds me? It won't last forever. You know what the rust bubbles on the side of your fender remind you of? The car that you dreamt about, that you saved for, and you couldn't wait to have is already 12 years old. 
We're reminded that time, it just keeps going by, and soon it'll all be fleeting. And here's the thing, you can do your best. You can do your best to kind of get after all of this stuff and, you, and accumulate all you have. But you know what? Good luck preserving it because what Jesus is saying is even if you can accumulate all this stuff, even if you can preserve it for yourself, there still will be thieves that will come in and steal. point is, the things of this earth will be here today and gone tomorrow. The treasures, the preciousness of this earth reminds us that looks fade and industries dry up and the jobs are temporal and that this account really won't do much when all is said and done. Don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy. Rather, he says, come on, where are we going to place our stuff? What are we going to do with our goods? How are we going to spend our time? What's going to be our ambition? The reality is this. He says, come on, put it where moth and rust can't touch it. Put it where, I'm telling you, not, thieves will never break in and steal. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm telling you right now, your father in heaven has opened a bank account for you and the interest rates are incredibly high. The returns are absolutely infinite. They will overflow, and indeed, it is secure. You need not waste your money on a spiritual life lock because God has got you. That's the point. And it's such a simple text. It's such a simple point that you've learned in Sunday school over and over and over and over and over again. But still, here we are. And if you're anything like me, you're like, fine, pastor, how does it work? Like, I've heard this sermon so many times. What am I supposed to do? Check out? Like, just forget about earth altogether? Like, you just, you just want me to stop living at all? You want me to sell all my stuff and become poor? No. Say no. As a matter of fact, the opposite can be true. There can become a, snobber, a snobbery of poverty if we're not careful. We can become just like the religious and feel really good about ourselves for having very little. That's the exact opposite point that Jesus is making. What is he saying? Friends, hear this. Just to be clear, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. Ask for Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, as you're establishing the church, teach the rich to enjoy their riches. But in the process, be sure that they're generous to all. Friends, you got to remember the context to get the best application out of this text. You got to remember the context to get the best application out of this text. You're not more spiritual just because you mortify your bank account. Just like you're not more spiritual for dirtying your face when you fast. You got to remember the context. What's the context? Five times Jesus says, you've heard it said. You've heard it said. You've heard it said. But I say, who is Jesus going after? And you've heard it said. Come on, who is it? The hypocrites. The Pharisees. 
He says, they pray like this, you pray like that. They pray like this, you pray like that. They give like this, you give like that. Who's the they? The they is the religious hypocrite. And here again, Jesus is after the hypocrite. You see, there was a theology, a belief afoot that isn't unlike the prosperity movements of our day that believed, that taught, that held people under this notion. Your wealth, your health, your influence, your growing success, your social status was all an indication of how close you were and how loved you were and how blessed you were by God. Friends, turn that channel. Stop listening to that nonsense. You see, the religious leaders believed they were all that. They believed they had God's favor. Why? They, had, they were well compensated. The religious leaders, they had power. They had the applause of men. They gave so people could see. They prayed so people could hear. They fasted where people could see. They had what they wanted. And Jesus said what? They have gotten what they shot for. They've already received their reward. But as for you, followers... As for you, Christians, you're different. We understand that the gospel of grace draws people from all walks of life. We understand that God draws to himself rich and poor. That our status on this earth is no indication or no bearing about God's love pertaining to us. For whatever caste we were born in, whatever place we may find ourselves in life is right where God wants to use you. You're going to reach people that I will never reach because of your context, because of your circumstance, because of where you were born, because of the gender that you are. You'll be able to have conversations that I will never be able to have. You'll be able to preach sermons that I'll never have context to preach. Why? Because God wants to use you right where you are. He wants to use you right in the midst of your own circumstance. Your ambitions are different. You need not be more rich to be used by God. You need not be more powerful to be used by God. Why? Because we have the riches of heaven. We don't go by the status symbols of this world in order to have influence under the kingdom of God. We no longer look at people by way of male, female, bound or free. Jesus wants us to know that we've been rewarded differently than this. Our rewards are different than these types of rewards. And we should be glad. What I want you to catch is, how do you store up treasures in heaven? How do you store up treasures in heaven? Jesus, would you just tell us? It's like you told us to do this, and then you're like, you're gonna move on. Does Jesus... Tell us how? Or is this just like a, like a, kind, of a kind of a bait and switch trick? Like store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Oh, by the way, your eye, your eye can see. And if it doesn't see, it's going to be dark inside. And we're just going to move on. You, you, you can't love God and money. And like, but how? How do we actually store up treasures in heaven? Friends, here's what I want you to catch. 
Jesus has already told us in the Sermon on the Mount how we will receive treasure in heaven. Five times up until this point, Jesus has already said, you will be rewarded. Here's how you are rewarded. The religious leaders, they've received your reward. They've received their treasure. It's going to fade away. It's going to pass by. It's not going to matter anymore. But for you, church, five times Jesus says, you will be rewarded with a, chair, with a treasure that is imperishable. Check this. You got your pen? Write these down. Because it's important that we study the Bible in its context. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Jesus has already said, those who are willing to suffer persecution will be rewarded in heaven. Jesus has already said, those who love their enemies will be rewarded in heaven. Chapter 5, verse 46. Chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. He says, those who are generous to the poor and to the least of these. Indeed, the religious leaders have received their reward, but you have a reward coming. He said this, those who fervently and sincerely pray and seek after Jesus, you will receive. The religious leaders, they have their reward, but your reward is coming in heaven. Catch it? And when you fast, they dirty their faces. And so they have their reward. But as for you, you have another reward coming. Six, chapter six, verses 16 through 18. Those who are willing to suffer, those who love their enemies, those who are generous to the poor and the least of these, those who are fervent in prayer and speaking unto their God, those who humble and fast. In other words... You want to store up treasures in heaven? Treasure, the treasure of heaven. You want to store up treasures in heaven? Treasure, the treasures of heaven. Come on, church, what's the treasure of heaven? Tell me, what is the treasure of heaven? Who is the treasure of heaven? Tell me right now. Say his name. Who is the treasure of heaven? Jesus. Those who pray unto me have treasures in heaven. Those who fast and seek after me, there's treasures in heaven. Those who give unto the least of these are, like, are given unto me. You've heard Jesus say that. What is he saying? Seek after me, obey me, and you shall receive treasures in heaven. This text over and over again, it, we, it's, it's always preached in regards to money because there's a context regarding money and value and worth, but there is so much more in view here. Jesus is making it clear. You store up treasure in heaven. It's a matter of your heart. It's not a matter of religious practice. It's not a matter of just simply doing the right things. It's about doing the right things with the right motivation, with the right ambition. It's not enough to pray. It's to pray because you love Jesus and you're speaking with Jesus. It's not enough merely to read your Bible. It's that when you come to your Bible, you realize that it's your opportunity to hear from Jesus. This takes the hypocrisy out. This speaks about ambition and motivations of the heart.
It's not about doing the right things. It's about doing the right things the right way. And this is exactly why Jesus already warned us in Matthew chapter 5 in this sermon, verse 20. What did he say? I tell you this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Ain't no treasure unless your righteousness is better than the religious leaders. How's your righteousness any better than the religious leaders? Has nothing to do with the external. It has everything to do with our hearts. So how do we live differently? Surrender our anger and keep short accounts. Surrender our lust and and pursue purity. Love our spouses with the gospel of grace. Keep our promises before the Lord and surrender our offenses to God and love our enemies. That's everything Jesus addressed in the Sermon on the Mount up until this point. And then what's our reward? What's our reward? See sermon number one. See the intro of Jesus' message and he's already told us what the reward is. Hear it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for what will their reward be? Come on, it's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for what will their treasure be? The comfort and the presence of Jesus when they're in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for what will their reward be? What will their treasure be? One day they will inherit the earth and they will reign with Jesus forevermore. What is our treasure? Our treasure is Jesus. What is our blessedness? It's the presence of Jesus. Keep reading. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied with the sustenance of Jesus forevermore. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy from Jesus and not be damned. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God one day, Jesus in the flesh reigning before them. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You hear it? This is our treasure, friends. Blessed are those when others revile you, when others persecute you, when they utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you and so will they persecute you. You want to store up treasure on heaven? Treasure the treasure of heaven now. You want to store up treasure in heaven? Seek Jesus now. Pray to Jesus. Fast and seek after Jesus. Love like Jesus. And so friends, is the Lord calling us to check out of this world? Is the Lord calling us to check out of this world? Say no. Not at all. He's calling us actually to press in and to press on all the more. He's calling us to live on mission now. He's calling us to live loved and sent to the glory of God now. He's calling us to have a new perspective on this world. What you're going to find fascinating is this, is that the actions that are just going to fade away one day, those same actions done for God are going to result in eternal treasure. It's not the actions themselves. It's the why behind it. You see, it's now we see the world differently. That's point two. When God transforms our hearts, he gives our hearts a hunger for heaven. But once we receive this hunger for heaven, he also gives us eyes that are enlightened for eternity. Look at verse 22. He says this, your eyes. 
The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. Pretty simple. When you first read it, you're like, I'm not quite sure what Jesus is talking about here, but I kind of get the idea. Um, blink, blink, um, blink two times if you hear me. Now close your eyes. What do you see? Tell me. Say, speak. What do you see? Your eyelids. Okay, what color are they? Black, right? Okay, open your eyes. Illustration made. Your eyes. Your eyes provide light to your mind and to your heart. They enable you to assess situations and see context. They'd be able to make decisions about what you ought to do next. The eye, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are open, you'll be able to see. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if your eyes are closed, you won't be able to see where you're going. You won't be able to make good decisions. Indeed, you'll make all kinds of bumps. And so the illustration is simple. God's given you eyes to see. When you trust him as your personal Lord and Savior, when Jesus saves your soul, he gives you eyes to see things differently. And you see in the scriptures, eyes often represent uh, the perspectives of our heart and of our mind. You've heard this. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, right? You've heard this. Like, open the eyes of my heart. That kind of simultaneous, they kind of, they're, they're very, they, they kind of go hand in hand. But see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they had their vision kind of tainted. They, they, had a, they had a, these are dark glasses, and I have amber glasses here. And so think of it this way. Uh, for the religious leaders, they're going to put, I'm going to put on my dark glasses. Ooh. You see, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh... Their minds are set on the things of the flesh. The religious leaders' eyes have not been opened. They have not received the gospel of Jesus. Those who have not received the gospel of Jesus, they still see the world dimly and darkly, and they still th see things according to the flesh. But, but Jesus says, you, on the other hand, uh, you, your eyes have been enlightened, and they've been opened, and so we'll put on these amber glasses. Ooh. I like these ones better. Why? Because the text says this. Now your whole body can see. Now you can make good decisions. Now you can actually make decisions that will result in treasures in heaven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 says this. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Why? That you may see what is the hope to which you were called. Now we can see. What are the riches of God's great and glorious grace? Awesome. Our vision's different. We just now see things differently. We're not better. We didn't go and get corrective lenses. We didn't figure this out on our own. God drew us to himself. God sent Jesus and rescued our souls. God saved us. And he gave us eyes to see. And so now, 2 Corinthians says this. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says this. From now on, 
Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh anymore. For though we once regarded Jesus according to the flesh, we now do so no longer. What does he say? Therefore now, if anyone is in Christ, behold, the old has passed away. And behold, now the new has come. And so, friends, this, this, this life, this life, the here and now, God has given us eyes to see that this life is precious, that this life is important, that you're here and now, that the moments that you're breathing now are indeed a gift from God. And what I want us to catch is this, with this new sight, with this new sight, the same thing, like we can, we can be all about our families, but not because it's about God, it's because I don't want my kids to embarrass me. You see, I can be all focused on my marriage because she's got something that I want and I want to, I want to, and he has something that I need and I want to feel security there and it makes me feel, you see, we can be all earthly focused on really good things. And God's given you a skill and a gift to be able to work and make money and, and have income. And, and before you know it, you realize I'm getting really good at this and I can get super great at this. And if you do it all for your own purposes, what? Hey, Pastor, you're going to make a mess again? I am. But now the Lord says, nurture your family because you know that the greatest thing you can do is teach them to love Jesus. Love your spouse because the two of you are the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ resident and walking on earth. God's given you a gift and you, you kill it at the workplace. You do it. You work hard. You go after it. You expend yourself. Come on. You make, you make your resources. You be successful. Go ahead and take the promotion when they see how hard you work. You're not, you're not lacking spirituality when you do that, but when you take that promotion, when you work those hours, when you get after that job, you're reminded, what? This isn't for me. There will be no U-Haul behind my hearse. Like, it's not for me. It'll never be for me, but some of us got to get it through our heads. It's not just for our kids either. It's not just for the people who come behind us either. If it's not for God, they'll squander it too. If you don't teach them how to love Jesus now, they'll take all that you have done and given to them, and it'll be gone in a generation or less. You see how this works? Come on, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because the bottom is done dropped out of this earth. That's Jesus' point. And so you would ask yourself, Pastor, what of this? What's more important, Pastor, this life or the next? Come on, everybody, every one of us wants to say the next life, right? Check this. If you're flying on an airplane, which is more important, the left wing or the right wing? When you're in flight, which wing's more important, the left or the right? When I'm in flight, you take any one of those wings off, we're going down. 
Friend, you're in flight right now. God's called you. He's placed you in flight. It's life. We can't wait to get to heaven. Heaven is for real. Heaven is there. Heaven, heaven awaits. Heaven is forever. But you know what? It doesn't minimize the severity of now. It doesn't minimize the preciousness of now. And indeed, it accentuates the glory of now and the desires of now. Because now is when you can trust Jesus. Now is when you can serve Jesus before you see him face to face. Now is when you can make internal investments for Jesus. You see, which wing of the plane is more important while it's in flight? Both wings are equally important. And so, Christian, I don't know if it's even possible to be so heavenly-minded that we're of no earthly good. Indeed, that's not Jesus' desire for us, but neither is it for us to fixate on the here and now either. You cut either wing off. You become all fixated in heaven. You stop living for today. You become all fixated today. You'll live today all wrong. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven now. All the ambitions I mentioned at the beginning of the message. Done for Jesus? With the ambitions of serving Jesus? For the desire to serve Jesus leads us to the third and final point, and it's this. When God gives us the gift of righteous ambition, he also will give us the heart hungry for heaven, eyes enlightened for eternity, and thirdly this, a will to worship him wholeheartedly. The will to worship him wholeheartedly. He ends this portion by saying this, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Just to be clear here, the word serve here is from the root word um, for slave, doulos. No one can be a slave to two masters is what Jesus is saying. This is not a willful service that is in view here. This is a duty of service that is in view here. You cannot be a slave to both God and money. You cannot be a slave to earthly treasure and heavenly treasure at the same time. No one can be a slave to two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. Why? Because these masters don't agree. That's the point. You can't be a slave to both masters because these masters don't agree. They are going to disagree and you have to choose one at some point. And what Jesus is saying, choose now. Stop now storing up for yourself treasures on earth. Stop now seeking after this master of the earth. Stop now. Rather, choose me now. Choose me now. Treasure the things of heaven now. Treasure the things of heaven now. Treasure me now. And all of these things will be added unto you. Seek me and that perfect relationship that you've been going after. Seek me. And those children that you're seeking to raise that won't rob banks. Seek me and that job and that position. Seek me and that neighbor that's driving you crazy. Seek me and, come on, whatever else it is.
Seek me and I'll bring the rest of that stuff all into perspective. You see, the religious leaders, they were enslaved to greed. Money, mammon, if you will, is how it's translated in some places, wealth and property and riches. They were enslaved to the treasures of this earth. They were leveraging their wealth and their status for themselves. They were using God to fill their own stomachs and bank accounts. They were hating and despising. And in so doing, Jesus says they were actually hating and despising the God they were called to serve. How awful would it be at the end of seeking to have a perfect marriage and to have perfect kids and to have the great job and to have it all and to have it all and to gain this whole world just to find out at the end what, what, is, what does Jesus say? What a shame it would be for us to gain the whole world even though they look very similar side by side. The righteous life and the selfish life actually can look very, very similar side by side. What makes the difference? Jesus. The state of your soul. For we look upon the outward appearance with eyes that are dim. But the Lord looks upon the heart. And to those who call upon him, he has opened our eyes to see these things in a fresh, new way. Hear this, friends. This passage ought to be convicting. There's not one cranny, nook, spot, scent, pursuit, ambition of my life that isn't touched by this text. And what Jesus is saying is this. If we value what we've been given more than the giver, if we enjoy what's been made more than the maker who made it, if we pursue the things of this world more than we pursue the king who reigns over this world, the time to repent is now. We either want him above everything else or we don't. Jesus is laying it down here and saying there is no in between. My heart is deceitfully wicked. I can't even understand it, which is why I need Jesus to rescue it now. How's he do it? Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. If you've never done so before, you call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. You call upon the name of the Lord and all these ambitions and all of this drive will finally have itself a purpose. It'll find its purpose in the Lord. Christian, what are you eat to do? Confess our sins. Confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't it really interesting that the, it's, it's very similar and the same. For some of you, it's the first time. God, I confess I'm a sinner. Please save me. For Christian, come on. It's the same, it's a similar thing again, which is God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for the salvation that Jesus has given me. And so I'm resetting myself here yet again. Open my eyes again to see, for I've wandered and I've strayed and my sight has grown dim. God, give it to me today, please. The perspective that I need to serve you. And so Lord, we come to you now with this, our request. that you would open our eyes to see, that you would awaken the hungers of our hearts to be exclusively and solely for you, 
that you would enable us and empower us, Lord God, to serve and to worship only you. Father, my life is yours. Our lives are yours. Our family, they're yours. Our homes, they're yours. Our possessions, they're yours. Our church, it's yours. We want you. Above everything else, Lord God, we want you. Lord God, would you receive this song of prayer to you now?